0: When I was a kid, uh, the, the church that my family used to attend used to hold a Sunday school outing every year. And the idea was that all the Sunday school kids and family went off on their outing, and a whole other church would go to. I was in uh, Rob's dad's Sunday school class, so um, I, got some, I did think of showing some photographs of Rob's dad and my dad playing cricket, but we've decided, I decided against that. But we used to go away, we used to have a fantastic outing, and it was always hot, it was always great weather, and it was, it was great, and I've got two brothers, my older brother, my middle brother, brother, Colin, who is seven years older than me, was always the coolest amongst the three of us. He was always the most fashion conscious and, 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 and pretty much still is. And uh, I remember when I was about 10, I remember Colin buying some self-tanning cream and because uh, the, the guys always used to take their tops off we used to have a, an open-air swim pool we all used to go swimming and so everybody wanted to look good and colin bought some self-tanning cream this year and he must be about 17 18 something like that and applied it to himself and it was perfect and he looked great and he looked nice and tanned and all the rest of it so that night when we got back i thought i would try and use his self-tanning cream and look as good as colin i always pretty much used to copy whatever he wore and all that kind of stuff and So I got in, and if I said that I didn't put it on evenly or properly, it would be a massive understatement, okay? So the next morning, I put it on that night. The next morning, went down to breakfast. My mum has an absolute fit, has absolute hysterics, because when she looked at me, and I looked in the mirror, so I basically had an orange line here, an orange line there, two on my cheeks, and an orange chin. And... She then decided that this was appalling, and we couldn't, couldn't possibly go to the meeting this morning with me looking like this, embarrassing the family and so on. So she got some of that facial scrub. I don't know how you ladies use this. Uh, it's, it's lethal stuff, but it has all the little bits in it. And so she decides to scrub scrubbing my face and trying to get this orange strips off my face. And it was utterly painful. It was horrendous. And Sunday morning, she's trying to get all this stuff off my face before we could go off to the uh, meeting at church. And besides... But be, 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 by the time she finished, instead of glowing orange, which was kind of the intention of the self-tanning cream, she'd actually peeled off most of the top layer of my skin, and so my face was now just red raw. Um, and as I went to church that small that, that Sunday morning, I got a lot of strange looks, because you can imagine kind of walking in, because despite my mum's best efforts with the facial scrub, my face still had quite distinct kind of orange lines, but the bits that weren't orange were just bright red. So I just looked at absolute mess. And as I sat in church that Sunday morning, I felt a little bit like Moses in the Bible when the Bible says he came down from the mountain and his face was just glowing. He was radiating God's glory. And I think just like Moses had to put a veil on his face, my mum would have, if she could have done, would have kind of covered me up with a blanket and kind of walked in because I was embarrassing the family. The Bible tells us that Moses' face was radiant and it was shining with God's glory because he'd encountered God. And people couldn't look at him unless they put a veil over his face. And in fact, for some time after that, every time he went into the tent of meeting to meet with God, he came out with his face shining again. And he had to keep on wearing this veil, at least for some time. I think my kind of face problems lasted. Well, my face I've still got face problems. But my, my immediate face problem that Sunday morning lasted for about two weeks before finally the kind of marks had gone and, and it kind of returned to normal. Well, over the last few weeks here at Regent, we've been working our way and and studying the book of exodus and we've seen how god entered into a covenant a special relationship with the people of israel and part of that covenant was that the people had to live by the ten commandments that moses had received on these two tablets of stone these two slabs of stone and not just the ten commandments but there was a whole group of secondary rules and regulations and all of that together was called the law of moses and we saw a few weeks ago how moses was given these ten commandments by god on the top of mount sinai on these two slabs of stone these two tablets of stone but then when he came back down the mountain and and stuart looked at this for us a few weeks ago he found that the people below were all worshiping this idol this golden calf and moses was absolutely mad he was furious he was understandably outraged and so he threw these two slabs of stone with the ten commandments on them onto the ground so that they smashed and so he now needed to go back up the mountain and get a whole new set. Well, first he'd get a whole new uh, two slabs of stone and then go back up the top of Mount Sinai for God to write the Ten Commandments all over again. So let's read what happened to Moses. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And looking at Exodus 34 and then we're going to read from uh, verse 1 to 8 and then 27 to 35 so it's Exodus 34 if you've got a Bible you can turn with me if you want or you can just listen whatever you're comfortable with so Exodus 34 so Moses has destroyed these two tablets of stone these two slabs of stone and now he's got to go back up and get some new ones so Exodus 34 verse 1 the Lord said to Moses chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. then we're going to skip down to verse 27 so moses receives again god writes again on these tablets of stone the ten commandments and gives moses some more commands as well and refreshes his memory about some of the, the commandments and then in verse 27 then the lord said to moses write down these words for in accordance with these words i have made a covenant with you and with israel moses was there with the lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai when Moses finished speaking to them he put a veil over his face but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him he removed the veil until he came out and when he came out and told the Israelites what he'd been commanded they saw that his face was radiant then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord it's a fascinating account isn't it and it must have been amazing to be Moses, but it must have been a pretty amazing and a little bit scary also to encounter Moses after he'd experienced this and to see him with his face just kind of uh, glowing and, and shining with God's glory. Moses was like a mirror, effectively, reflecting God's glory. And one of the things that this passage shows us is that when we spend time with God, those around us can tell. Moses had spent time with God and it was physically evident to the people around him. And the same is true for us. We might not shine physically, although we may do. But spending time with God alone or in a group of, with a group of others changes us. When we spend time with God, we become different people. We change. We are transformed. And it's, for us, it's probably not going to be in a physical shining face. That might happen, but probably not going to happen. But the way it will be seen in us is the way that we behave, the way that we act, the way that we speak. Because spending time with God will change us. Spending time with God will transform who we are, change our behaviour, and it will change how people see us. It will change how people interact with us. But in order for us to understand this passage properly and to understand the relevance of this passage to us today... We need to fast forward 1,400 years later to the first century .AD, and to flip over into the New Testament to the book of Second Corinthians chapter three, which is written by Paul the Apostle Paul. He's one of the early main church leaders in the, in the first century, wrote most of the New Testament of the Bible. So we're going to read Second Corinthians chapter three and verses seven to 18. So if you've got a Bible again, if you want to flip over, Second Corinthians chapter three and verses seven to 18. And you'll see the, the link and the relevance of this. So Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, and the ministry, what he means there is the, the, the old covenant, these two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on it, that's what he means there. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the, when the old covenant is read it has not been removed because only in christ is it taken away even to this day when moses is read, a veil covers their hearts but whenever anyone turns to the lord the veil is taken away Now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the lord who is the spirit now the reason that paul was writing these particular words in second corinthians to the church in corinth was because there'd been a number of false teachers who'd come to corinth and they were teaching the wrong things and one of the things that they had been teaching was that the christian believers there had to not only follow jesus but they also had to obey the law of moses all the stuff in the old covenant the law of moses had been given by god to moses over 1400 years earlier and as we said it was the way that god had commanded that the israelites were to live it was called a covenant it was an agreement Uh, it was an agreement between god on the one hand and the nation of israel on the other hand and because Moses, because god had given uh, the laws of this covenant to moses and because moses had been in god's presence when he was up there on top of the mountain when he came back down His face was shining so that all the Israelites could tell that he'd been in God's presence. He'd encountered God's glory and his face was kind of reflecting God's glory. Something of being with God was kind of reflecting from Moses. So in some miraculous way, he was shining, literally shining with God's glory. And so Moses had to put a veil on when he came back down because the other people just couldn't look at him. He was so bright. It was so strong. God's glory. They were getting a glimpse of God's glory in Moses' face. And so they had to kind of put a veil over him. And in this passage paul teaches us that this covenant this package of laws and regulations the old covenant it was good because it was from god and everything god gives us is good and it it came with glory and the glory was so amazing that moses face was shining as a result that's how glorious it was this was a glorious covenant an amazing good covenant however god had now replaced that covenant with this with special agreement with its package of laws and regulations. He'd replace that with something new. And in the Bible, it's called the New Covenant or the New Testament as opposed to the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. Testament is just an Old English word which means covenant, a special arrangement, a special agreement. And this New Covenant... This new way of us living in relationship with God and relating to God isn't about following a package of rules and regulations, about the Ten Commandments and all the other uh, sort of rules and regulations. It's about having instead a, a living relationship with God through Jesus. It's about living in faith with and, and, and having a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And to show that it was just actually crazy for these false teachers who'd come to Corinth to teach that Christians had to, in addition to uh, putting their faith in Jesus, also had to follow all the laws of the Old Covenant, Paul compares and he contrasts the two. Look at what he says. In in verses 7 to 8 he says, Now if the ministry that brought death, and he's talking there about the, the Old Covenant, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit... ...the new covenant, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? He talks about the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. And he's referring to the old covenant, the Jewish law, specifically the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. And of course, the Ten Commandments were engraved on those two slabs of stone. And he says that this covenant between God and the Israelites came with great glory. So much so that Moses' face was shining supernaturally, reflecting God's glory. And the Israelites had to kind of cover him up because they just couldn't look at him. That was how glorious this old covenant was. But actually, as glorious as it was, this covenant actually brought death. And he says the same thing in verse 9. He says, if the ministry that condemns men, condemns men to death, is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? In other words, brings men and women into a right standing with God. So this covenant, or this ministry as he calls it here, condemned people. So what's he on about? Well, look at the next verse on your outline from Romans 7. Paul, talking about the law, the old covenant, says this in Romans 7 verse 10. He says, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. So God gave the law to Moses for the Israelites, but what it actually did was it just exposed their inability to keep it it exposed the fact that they were sinners it exposed the fact that they couldn't keep god's perfect standard because every israelite just like you and me here today was and is a sinner and so god's perfect law god's perfect standard revealed in the old covenant it's intended to bring life but actually because of the sin within us the covenant's not at fault what's at fault is us that sin within us means we can't keep this perfect standard so what was the point of the law then well look at what paul says in galatians 3 he says so the law was put in charge to lead us to christ that we might be justified by faith and the greek word put in charge literally kind of means like a school teacher someone teaching us and showing us our need of jesus the law was there is given as a means of leading us to jesus so the law was given to show us that we are incapable of meeting god's holy standards and in so doing it continues to show us that we then need a savior when i look at the ten commandments i look at each one and i see how i regularly fail to keep them let's look briefly at them I've, i've paraphrased them for you worship only god do not have any idols do not misuse god's name keep one day a week special for god honor your parents do not murder Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet or want what someone else has. And if we're honest, we've all broken most of these commands at some point or other. I have broken every single one of these commandments in some way or other. You might not have murdered somebody, but Jesus says that if we hate somebody in our our hearts, then we have committed (coughs) murder. Jesus takes the Ten Commandments much deeper. And probably if we're really honest with ourselves, most of us break these commandments on a fairly regular basis. We may not be murdering people, but we still sometimes hold hatred for others, don't we? And, and all of these other commands we break on a regular basis. And as such, the Bible declares us to be sinners. We've fallen short of this perfect, glorious standard and that means that we're guilty that means that we now face the wrath of a holy god against our sin and so looking at god's law and seeing how far short we fall we become really aware or or we should become aware just how much we need rescuing we become aware as we look at this glorious perfect good law i am a long way short of that i need a savior i need someone to help me because i've messed up so the law leads us to christ and it shows us that we need jesus it shows us that we need Jesus to rescue us and to save us from our sins so that we can be right with God. The Bible calls it being justified by faith. We can be made right with God by trusting in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. So the law helps us. The law is a good thing. It actually helps us and shows us that we need a saviour. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus was sinless, he was perfect and he died in your place and he died in my place. And God poured out his wrath upon Jesus there on the cross so that instead of you and I facing God's wrath for our sins, Jesus took it instead. And if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our sins can be dealt with and we can be made right with God. We've all fallen so far short of God's perfect standard. Even the very best of us fall short of God's perfect standard, of this glorious covenant, this law. We've all broken God's laws. And because of that, we all desperately need a saviour. As you've listened to what I've just said, I, I wonder what your reaction is. Maybe if, if you're a Christian this morning, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably thinking, I hope you're thinking, well, you know, thank you, Jesus, for being my saviour. That's what we've been partly doing this morning as we've taken bread and wine thank you jesus for saving me i acknowledge my need every day of your, of your salvation thank you jesus but maybe this morning you're not a christian maybe this morning you've not given your life to jesus you haven't trusted in him for salvation well god's perfect standard revealed in the old covenant that this law of moses the ten commandments and all the other rules and regulations that we've looked at in, in recent weeks that law of moses reveals you reveals me as being a sinner in need of a saviour and Jesus offers himself to you this morning to be your saviour if you will turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in him the question is will you take that step if we want to get right with God we need to confess that we've broken God's laws we need to put our faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for us there on the cross And if that's a step that you want to take today, maybe you haven't done that before, that's a step you want to take, then please do come and talk with me afterwards. I'd love to chat with you further about that. Now, I guess most of us here today have done that. Most of us here today say, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. I've trusted in him. So what is Paul saying to us then in this passage? And what's the relevance of this passage in Exodus? Well, look at verse 8 again. Paul says the old covenant brought death. The covenant was good, but the covenant reveals our sin, and therefore we face God's wrath against our sin. The old covenant brought death, but even so, it came with great glory. Moses' face was shining, the glory was there for all to see. It came with great glory, so will not the ministry of the Spirit then, he says, be even more glorious? In other words, the new covenant, the ministry or the work of the Spirit is Paul's way here of describing the new covenant. In other words, the process by which we get right with God through trusting in Jesus. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, God's Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And that is so much more glorious and so much more amazing than the old covenant, as great as the old covenant was. This new covenant, the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us and changing us and bringing us to faith in Christ, is so much more glorious In verse 9 he says, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? In other words, the the ministry, the work of the Spirit that enables us to be right with God. The new covenant is much more amazing than the old covenant because it brings righteousness. It enables us to be right with God. The old covenant was good. It was glorious. And it was how God revealed his perfect standards to the whole world and to us today. And it helps us realize that we need a saviour. But the new covenant fulfills and replaces that old covenant and enables us to have a wonderful relationship with god and actually not just to have a relationship with god but actually to become like jesus paul describes becoming a christian as like having a veil removed from our faces removed from our eyes and our hearts he's using continuing kind of the imagery of moses having the veil over his face and and paul says look when you trust in jesus it's like having a veil removed he says whenever anyone turns to the lord the veil is taken away whereas the jews themselves still had a veil if you like over their spiritual eyes they would read the old testament and yet they were unable to see the promise of jesus in it and they were still effectively spiritually blind But look at what he says about christian believers people of this new covenant he says so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the lord we have our we had our blindness towards god and and jesus removed so that we can spiritually see and encounter god and and jesus and because of what jesus has done for us we can be bold and we can approach him and spend time with him in prayer and in worship as we've done this morning and in bible reading and in our daily kind of devotional quiet times or in a groups like this and as we do so we begin to see more of jesus as we read the bible as we worship together as we pray we see more of jesus we behold and we focus on who jesus is and all his glory and then as we do so We act like mirrors and we reflect that glory out, just like Moses did. And so Paul is able to say in verse 18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because of the work of Jesus, we can approach God in the power of his Spirit, who now lives within us, knowing that our sin's forgiven and that we've been made right with God. And as we spend time with God then, in prayer, in, in worship and in reading the Bible, we will become more and more like Jesus. We might not be particularly aware of it ourselves, but other people will see it. Other people will know and will be able, will be able to tell that there's something different about us. So that when people interact with us, we, we might not have a supernatural radiance like Moses did in a physical sense. We might not have orange marks on, on, the, on our faces like I did. But people will be able to see... That we're becoming more like jesus they'll see that we have been with god they might not put it in those terms they almost certainly won't they might not really understand what's different about us but they will see that we are different because we can't spend time with jesus and come away unchanged if we're really encountering god it does change us and they'll see something of god being reflected in us we're acting like mirrors reflecting god's glory but, and there is a big but, this assumes that we are actually spending time with Jesus. This doesn't happen unless we spend time with Jesus. This transformation process of becoming like Jesus and then reflecting God's glory only happens if and when we spend time with Him. If, if we want to become more like Jesus, if we want to reflect God's glory, then we need to spend time with Him. It just doesn't happen otherwise. So so write that on your outline. If I want to become like Jesus, I need to spend time with Him. If I want to become like Jesus, if I want to become more like Jesus, I need to spend time with Him. Real spiritual growth is possible. Lots of Christians, lots of people say to me, you know, I, I don't feel any different, I'm not really making any progress. Well, real spiritual growth is possible, and it's ours for the taking. It is not some kind of pipe dream, but it does require us to take action. It's a bit like, you know, training for this run like paul and i i think our fancy dress would be turning up at all that would be fancy dress in itself you know there's no no point in trying to run unless you're training for it i'm not going to turn into that athlete unless i train for it and the same is true with with god unless we spend time unless we spend time with god on a daily basis and and prioritize attending church then we won't change we won't become those people that jesus wants us to be spiritual growth real spiritual growth is possible it's not a pipe dream but it requires us to take action we have to choose to create time in our day this needs to be a priority to spend time with jesus the greek word behind what the niv in verse 18 translates as reflect literally means both on the one hand beholding and reflecting in other words it's this kind of idea of a mirror and some translations use that word but you can't reflect if you're not actually beholding in the first place can you If no one looks in the mirror, there's nothing there. So we can't reflect God's glory unless we're looking at God's glory. We need to take time and create time in our days to behold. In other words, to look at, to focus on, to be taken up with Jesus. And as we then do so, we will reflect him. We will be changed. And we begin to change and become like the one that we're focusing on. But that will only happen if we intentionally carve out time in our day to spend with God and to focus on him. There is no shortcut. I know probably 90% of the outlines I put, you know, so so often the the answer is spend more time with God. But there is no shortcut. That is the answer to spiritual growth. But if we do that, if we spend time each day focusing on the Holy Spirit within us, will change us so that we become more and more like Jesus. Paul talks about us being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit but for us to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus with ever increasing glory we then face a second daily challenge and that's this will I submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life or will I resist him? as we focus on jesus the holy spirit will then often perhaps put his finger on things or or reveal things as we look at jesus sometimes the reflection we get back highlights things that we need to deal with in our own lives doesn't it maybe things that we need to repent of a a relationship we need to put right things that we need to turn away from things that we need to change or deal with and we have a choice there not only the, the initial choice of will i spend time with god in, in prayer and in worship and Bible reading and so on. But then as we, as we gaze upon the Lord in glory and as the Holy Spirit then works in us and, and reveals those things that need to change, we have a choice as to whether or not we submit to him or do we ignore him. If we want to become more like Jesus, we've got that daily choice to make to submit to the Holy Spirit. I'll write that on your outline. If I, if I want to become more like Jesus, I've got to make that daily choice to submit to the Holy Spirit. It's no good, in fact, James says this, doesn't he, in the book of James, that you don't look in a mirror and then see what you look like and then go away and forget what you look like. We need to do something about what we see. And as we gaze into the perfect law, he calls it, the Bible, we then are revealed the things that we need to take action on. We can never become completely like Jesus until we get to heaven. The Apostle John says, when we see him, we shall be like him. But here on earth, we will still battle with sin in our lives day by day. But God does want you and me to be changed, and he's given us the power to do that through the Holy Spirit. He wants us to grow and develop in our relationship with him so that little by little, and, and sometimes it's quite dramatic, and other times it's very, very small increments, but little by little we change and become more and more like Jesus, ever-increasing glory. God wants us to become like Jesus. And the amazing thing is that God not only does God want us to, but he's made it possible for us to do it. This is not a pipe dream. And he gives us the power to do this, the change. That power is the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living within us, the Bible says. I wonder what the Holy Spirit has been saying to you recently. What has he been speaking to you about, perhaps in in church gatherings or, or in home groups or in your personal daily time with God? What has he been saying to you recently and what steps do you need to take in response to that? What is God saying to you? What kind of, as you look into the, the Lord's eyes, as you gaze upon the Lord in glory, and as you act as, as a mirror, as that process of reflecting, what is God saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about your life? As Christians, we're no longer bound to keep the law of Moses that was, that was given to Moses. It, it's helpful because it shows us how holy God is. It shows us what sin is. And it shows us that we need a Savior. But we don't keep it in order to get to heaven. That comes through trusting in Jesus. Instead of keeping the law of Moses as part of the old covenant, we're to follow and keep what the the Bible calls the law of Christ rather than the law of Moses. And, And when asked what the most important commandment in the law was, Jesus said this Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. So as Christians, we're now free from the law of Moses and instead we follow what the Bible calls the law of Christ, which is all about loving God and loving others. In fact, you can sum the whole Bible up with that that, that phrase, loving God and loving others. And that, by the way, is the tagline, if you like, of of this church, to be passionate about God and passionate about people taken from that um, statement of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.17 now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit is spirit of the lord is there is freedom so we're free from the law free from the law of moses the law of the old covenant and now we're free to live as the holy spirit who lives within us leads us and guides us to live paul says this in 1 corinthians ten twenty three. he says everything is permissible for the believer everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial everything is permissible but not everything is constructive as christians we're free from the law Everything is permissible, says Paul, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial in my relationship with God and in my becoming more like Jesus. And not everything is constructive in my relationship with my neighbor. And so we have to ask ourselves whether our behavior, our lifestyle, the things that we're doing, is this beneficial? Will this help my relationship with God grow more and more or will it hinder me? If it's going to hinder me, I don't do it. If it's going to help me, I do it. Really simple and will it be constructive for others will my behavior help other people is my behavior showing my love for my neighbor if it's not I don't do it if it is I do it and that is the model for us to live by as Christians and as we spend time each day focusing on Jesus the Holy Spirit writes what God wants for, from us on our hearts not on tablets of stone like he did for Moses on external tablets but now internally he kind of writes it on our hearts he moves us he directs us towards those ways of behaving which will be beneficial and constructive and of course he informs that by us reading the Bible and and, and, and all of that kind of thing but I'm sure you've experienced that where you've just had that sense of the Holy Spirit speaking to you about now that's not a good thing to do this is a good thing to do that is the, the ministry of the Spirit which is so much more glorious than the ministry of that, that brought death of those tablets of stone. The Holy Spirit writing on our hearts what God wants from us. And he will direct us and show us what those ways of living are. And not only that, but he then gives us the power. This is not a pipe dream. He gives us the power to live that way. So that day by day, as we choose to spend time with Jesus, as we gaze upon the Lord in glory... And as we then choose to submit to the Holy Spirit, as he then highlights those things that we need to change, we become more and more like Jesus. Let's just take a few moments to pause and reflect. I wonder how God is speaking to you this morning, or perhaps has been over recent weeks in your life. What is God saying to you at the moment in your life at this time? Firstly, maybe you're aware or maybe you've become aware this morning that that you need God to save you. Maybe you're a Christian, but you know that you need to make more time each day to focus on God. There's been something that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about that you need to respond to, whether that's been this morning or in in your own daily prayer times. Let's just... Take a few moments to reflect and perhaps bow our heads in in, in quietness and reverence and submission to God and just allow the Spirit to speak to us this morning. Father we come before you this morning we thank you for the old covenant which is glorious and we thank you that it shows us your holiness your perfection your glory thank you that it shows us our sinfulness it highlights our need of a saviour thank you Lord Jesus that you came to be that saviour thank you for this new covenant which is so much more glorious and is written now on our hearts by you the Holy Spirit help us to As part of that new covenant, Lord, to spend time with you each day, just as Moses did, gazing on you in glory, that we might then reflect your glory and be transformed with ever-increasing likeness into the likeness of Jesus. Help us to to shine that light out to the world around us. May those around us see the glory of Jesus reflected in our lives and in our behaviour. We worship you this morning. We thank you that we're people of this new wonderful covenant. Help us to honour and glorify you in all that we do. But We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.